Because of their sin, mankind was kicked out of God's paradise into a perpetual wilderness. In God's garden, they could eat anything they wanted from God's already curated selection of fruits and vegetables. But now, they would have to work the soil and eat plants from the field. Even though God wiped everyone off the face of the earth for living in glad rebellion against Him, it didn't take very long for that same rebellious spirit to come up again in mankind. Ham, Noah's second-born son, does something shameful to his father Noah a few months after they disembarked the ark. As a result of this, Noah prophetically cursed Ham's son Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. It would be through Ham that the Babylonians, the Canaanites, and, and even the Egyptians would come. The rebellion would in fact continue. The people of Babylon were an incredibly advanced society. They created a new way to build buildings using bricks and tar. And they wanted to build for themselves a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth. These people were exalting themselves to the place of God. So. God confused their language and stopped their progress. In a similar way, how have we responded to new technology as it has been invented? Do we fall into the same trap of the Babylonians seeking to make a name for ourselves? Or do we choose God's story over our own? God's plan has always been to bless the people who place their entire trust in Him alone. Even though we decided to trust ourselves over Him, He has faithfully carried out His plan to bless all nations. One of the first people God wanted to bless was Abram. In Genesis 12, God says to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God would make Abram's name great. It was something God wanted to give to Abram. Not something that he sought for himself. So, so they set out, and he, his wife Sarai, and his nephew Lot came to the land of Canaan, where the Lord appeared to him and said, To your offspring I will give this land, the land of Canaan. Later, God would also renew that promise to Abram, saying, Look, look, look at the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, your offspring will be that numerous. There's only one problem. Abraham didn't have a son. Eventually, when both he and his wife Sarah were well past childbearing age, God miraculously provided them with a son, Isaac. Though not much later, God does something outlandish. He says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What? How could God ask such a thing from Abraham? I mean, this was the only son who could fulfill God's promise. How could God ask him to sacrifice him? And isn't it wrong to sacrifice children anyway? Well, when Abraham took the knife to sacrifice his son, an angel of the Lord called out to him and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy, for now I know that you fear God, 
since you have not withheld your only son from me. At that moment, Abraham looked up and, and saw a ram in the thorns and named the place the Lord will provide. When you trust the Lord and follow him, where God guides, God provides. Because Abraham obeyed, God said, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring, because you have obeyed my command. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This covenant God made with Abraham, he also made with Abraham's son Isaac. To you and to your descendants, I, I will give all these lands and, and I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And then God renews that covenant with Isaac's son, Jacob, who swindled his brother Esau out of his birthright and outright stole Esau's blessing. But still, God renewed the covenant with Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants, and your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. And by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. As God himself said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. From our lower perspective, where God takes his people next doesn't make sense. God made a promise to bless the world through Abraham's uncountable descendants. God promised that even though the land, they were in as strangers and outsiders, it would still be given to them. So it's perfectly reasonable to expect that the next part of the story is going to be God doing just that. But it isn't. Which brings up an important lesson about following God's path. Evil is in the world because we rebelled against God. Sometimes bad things happen to us because we've done something to deserve them. Other times, bad things happen because we live in a broken world. Whether we feel like we've done something to deserve the misery or not, the truth is Misery was the choice we made. The fact that God is always good seems to stand in stark contrast to misery, but it's not contrary at all. Because what's good is all about perspective. In the midst of misery, it may be nearly impossible for us to see anything good about it, but, but that doesn't mean God isn't good, and that God can't bring something good from it. So the story continues on with Jacob. One night, Jacob wrestles with God all night long. In that night, God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. The name Israel means to wrestle with God, which is exactly what the nation of Israel would do. So, Jacob, whose name is now Israel, had 12 sons, and those 12 sons will eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the youngest of those 12 sons was Joseph, and, and Joseph was Israel's favorite because he came from his favorite wife, which is problematic in many ways, and likely the cause for what happens next. 
Because of his confidence in his position in the family, Joseph, one of those sons, had a tendency to elevate himself over his brothers. He would share dreams he had which, which communicated to his brothers that he actually believed he was better than they were. Finally, the older brothers had enough and, and well, they're going to kill him until the oldest brother, Reuben, speaks up and, and convinces them to, to just make it look like he died. His brother Judah then, then has the idea to sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, who would in turn sell Joseph to Potiphar. For a while, things don't go so well for Joseph. He's in misery. He gets accused of a crime he didn't commit and is thrown into prison. He helps some of his inmates by interpreting their dreams, one of whom promises to put a good word in to the Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf, but he forgets for years. Eventually, the Pharaoh has a dream that he needs interpreted and the cupbearer remembers Joseph who interprets Pharaoh's dreams. These dreams that the Pharaoh was having were actually a sign from God to prepare for a famine that was about to come across the land and Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the whole process, making Joseph the number two man in the land. As the famine weighs down on the region, people in faraway lands find themselves in desperate need of food, including Joseph's family. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food and, and unknowingly interact with their brother Joseph. Who, who won't give them very much food until they actually bring back his younger brother, Benjamin. Eventually, though, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers who do bring the whole family down to Egypt to live. When Israel, formerly known as Jacob, was on his way to Egypt, God reminded him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. After Israel died, Joseph's brothers were worried that, that he would get back at them for selling him into slavery. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and your children. Well, just before Joseph died in Egypt, he said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and, and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said he would bless the nations through Abraham's descendants. Would, would the first nation to be blessed by them actually be Egypt? But, but why would God lead his people out of the land that was promised to them? Unfortunately, things didn't stay good for the Israelites. A new king, who didn't know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they're going to multiply further, and, and when war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. This pharaoh also gave an order to kill all the boys that were born to the Israelites. A parent of one of those boys hid him for as long as she could. When she could no longer hide him, she floated him down the river in a basket. Pharaoh's daughter was down at the river to take a bath where she found the basket with the baby in it. 
and the boy ended up back with his mother for a while. But when the child grew older, the, the, the Pharaoh's daughter brought him to live with her and he became her son. And she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Well, this adopted son of a king sees one of his fellow Israelites being mistreated, stands up for him and ends up killing an Egyptian. In fear, he flees the city and ends up getting invited to dinner. Moses then gets married to one of the daughters that he has dinner with, has children, and stays there, out there, wherever he went for a long time. In the meantime, the Israelites cry out for help because of the way they're being treated. And God hears them and remembers the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One day, while Moses is tending his father-in-law's flock, he led the flock into the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush. This burning bush tells Moses, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and, and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and, and to bring them from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Rightfully afraid to return to Egypt, Moses asks God, who should I say sent me? To which God replies, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. After some more arguing with God about going to Egypt and, and, and being worried that he isn't going to be able to speak on God's behalf, and, and even asking God to send someone else, God actually accommodates Moses' fears by sending Aaron, his brother, to help him communicate with the Pharaoh. Well, Moses takes his staff, meets Aaron, and after they worship God together, they go to confront the Pharaoh. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh refuses and, and, and as a result of this request, he actually further oppresses the Israelites, which causes them to dislike Moses. As you might remember, God is actually just beginning his work in Egypt to secure the freedom of his people from their slavery. What would happen next is it's utterly remarkable. God brings 10 plagues on the Egyptians, each plague showing himself to be infinitely more powerful than one of the gods the Egyptians worshiped. By turning the water of the Nile into blood, God defeated the Egyptian god of the Nile, Happy, the water bearer. By bringing frogs out of the Nile, God defeated Hecht, represented by a frog, who was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. God also defeated Keb, the, the god of the earth, by bringing gnats from the dust of the earth. Uachit was represented by a fly, so God brought swarms of flies. Ptah, considered to be the creator of the universe, was represented by a bull named Apis, whom God defeated by bringing the death of cattle and livestock. But there's still more to come as, as God would defeat Imhotep, the god of medicine, by bringing boils and sores on the people. He defeated the goddess of the sky, Nut, by raining down hail in the form of fire. Aker, the defender of the horizons, was defeated by locusts who, who devoured everything in the land. And Ra, the sun god, well, he was defeated 
when God brought three days of complete darkness on Egypt. However, the last plague was the worst of them all. It was an attack on Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was actually worshipped by the Egyptians because they believed him to be the greatest Egyptian god of all. They believed that he was raw, manifested in the flesh. Well, God brings a plague, killing all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. The firstborn son of the king would actually become the next god of the Egyptians. So God didn't just defeat the current Pharaoh, but the one to come. God protected his chosen people from this plague. God instructed his people to take some of the blood of the animals that they were sacrificing that night and, and put that blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. Then God said, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and, and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's exactly what happened. This Passover would be remembered and celebrated by God's people for forever. Finally, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh relents and lets the Israelites go. But his change of heart doesn't last. The group of over one million Israelites found themselves now pinned in between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. But God tells Moses, don't be afraid. Stand firm and, and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. God instructs Moses to stretch out his staff and, and to divide the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk through on dry ground. As the army catches up, they too enter the Red Sea, but, but when the Israelites have made it through, God closes the sea in on the army and they all, including the Pharaoh, drown in the waters. Just like Moses was rescued when he was drawn out of the water as a child, the Israelites were rescued from slavery through the waters of the Red Sea. Well, now what? Certainly everything's going to be good for the Israelites from now on, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Even though they were physically free from slavery and oppression, the Israelites never seemed to mentally and spiritually leave Egypt behind to put their trust in God. A short while after they left, they were grumbling for food, so, so God provided them miraculous bread from heaven to eat. But they still weren't satisfied, so, so they complained again, and, and God provided meat for them to eat. This grumbling became a habit for them, and they grumbled again because they had no water. So God told Moses to strike the rock, and water would come out of that rock. And it did just that. God's chosen people lived because he provided water for them from a rock. God did amazing, amazing things for his people. Three months after they left Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness where they camped in front of the mountain. God called Moses up the mountain where he said to him, if you carefully listen to me and, and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, and, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. After Moses shared this with the leaders of the community, God told him that he would visit Moses in a dense cloud on the mountain so that the Israelites would hear God speaking and always believe. Then 
one morning, with thunder and lightning, a thick cloud came down on Mount Sinai, along with a very loud blast from a ram's horn. And up there, with Moses up there on the mountain, God gave Moses what we now call the Ten Commandments, along with the rest of his law. God wanted his people to hear him, but, but they were afraid. They wanted Moses to speak to them from what God said, but they didn't want God to speak to them directly. But Moses replied, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. Moses spends a long time with God, getting the commands for the covenant. In the middle of this, God reiterates his desire to Moses, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. God's plan has never changed. It's still the same. Since Moses had been up there so long, well, down below, the people start to get restless. You remember Aaron, right? Remember that guy that was with Moses? With, with Moses speaking to the Pharaoh, speaking for God to the Pharaoh? You remember him, right? Well, well, the people come to Aaron and they say, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for that fellow Moses who brought us out of, out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. The crazy thing, absolutely crazy thing is, Aaron actually does it. Aaron took what they handed him and, and made it or, or fashioned it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Does this sound familiar? One of the gods that was defeated with a plague was the god Ptah, who was represented by a bull. The Israelites had only been out of Egypt for about four months, and they were already back to worshiping Egypt's gods. Maybe they never actually stopped. God tells Moses to go down from the mountain because they've been quick to turn away from him and made an idol for themselves. God threatens to destroy them, but Moses argued with God and convinces him to let them live. Moses takes the idol, grinds the idol into dust, puts it in the water, and makes the people drink it. <laughs> they kill about 3,000 people who are worshiping the calf, and, and then God struck the people with a plague because of what they did, making the idol and worshiping it. Moses spent a lot of time with God. In fact, he's one of the only people in existence to see any part of God as a human being. But since he had destroyed, destroyed those stone tablets, when he discovered the people worshiping an idol, he actually had to go and get the law again from God and carve new tablets. When Moses met with God and then he would go back to meet with the people, his face would glow from being in God's presence. In fact, God's presence dwelled among the people while they traveled in the wilderness. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Well, after about a year of traveling, it finally comes time for God's people to leave the wilderness and enter this Canaan land, the land that God promised to Abraham. So they put together a search committee to go into the land and see what they would be dealing with. When the search committee comes back, they admitted that they did in fact see a land flowing with milk 
and honey as God had promised. But they also said, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are, are fortified and very large. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and, and we looked the same to them. The people that God had led to the Canaan land, to the promised land, rebel against God's desire to lead them in, to give them this land that he had promised, not believing that he was able to defeat the people of the land. And again, God is ready to destroy them when Moses intercedes. God relents, but refuses to allow any of those who saw him perform those signs, those plagues in Egypt, but didn't believe that he could give them the promised land. He refused to allow any of them to be able to enter the land. So they end up wandering the wilderness for an additional 39 years, and all the people who didn't believe died in that wilderness just as God said. On their journey towards Canaan, God reminds the people of the covenant and, and all that they had learned. He especially reminded them of the importance of worshiping him alone and not worshiping idols. And he did this for a reason. See, the Canaanite people had a lot of idols that came with abhorrent worship rituals. The land that they were going to take was full of idol worship. He wanted to remind them that, that he was their God, the one and only true God. They were made in his image, and, and they were meant to worship him alone. While more rebellion takes place during those years that they're wandering in the wilderness, including rebellion from Moses himself, his one act of rebellion that actually kept him from gaining entrance to the promised land, eventually, the people do find themselves ready to take possession of the land through a new Moses a man by the name of Joshua. As they are about to enter, God tells Joshua, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Something hard to understand is that that God commanded the Israelites to completely destroy the Canaanites. Why would God want this? Well, we saw earlier that that the Canaanites were descendants of Ham who received a prophetic curse from Noah for what he had done to Noah. The Canaanites became an incredibly corrupt people with horrific moral corruption and child sacrifice. And God didn't want these practices to distract Israel from worshiping him alone. So God had given the command When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to possess, when God delivers them over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Later God said, You must not let any living thing survive among the cities of these people the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy them. So they won't teach you to do all the detestable acts they do for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. They had sinned against God for years, and God was going to bring judgment on them for that sin. Will Joshua, this new Moses, lead the people into the promised land? Will they remember all that God has done for them and be faithful to the covenant of their God and and obey the commands of the Torah? 
Will they completely drive the Canaanites out of the land and worship God alone? Will the other nations see that the God of the Israelites is the one true God? And will all nations be blessed through them? Well, that is for next week. Thank you.